0: What's up, Derek? How was your week?
1: Hey, my week was pretty good. I got a lot done, a lot of studying, reading, writing,
0: stuff like that. Good man. That is dope. I hadn't. I actually had an interesting morning. Didn't really say anything about this before we went on air, but um, I was Ubering this morning, as I'm wont to do, and um, I ran into... One of my customers was a member of the church. Oh, wow. I had never met her before, and I'd never seen her before. How did she- you make the connection? Well, this is what happened we got to talking about our lives she's a very very lovely woman she has this adorable eight-year-old boy she has she was telling me about one of the businesses she was starting up and it was in essence selling these clothes and accessories and a lot of them had African art on them Mm. she's she's West African or I guess her parents are West African I think she said she was from there but she's very much an Americana you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. just listening to her talk I wouldn't have been able to tell is what I'm saying so she was sharing this art with me and I was really digging it and she asked me what I was doing what what kinds of things I was trying to do besides uber and I told her about this podcast and when she told me to explain about the podcast I told her I prefaced it by saying well me and my co-hosts were Mormon so we tell a lot of our stories and a lot about our perspectives Uh, from me being a black Mormon and from my co-host being a gay Mormon. And then she like stopped dead in her tracks for a second. And she was like, I should tell you, me and my whole family are Mormons. I'm obviously a Jack Mormon. This is how I knew she hadn't been to church for a while because she used that term. Oh, (laughs) wow. So, um, wow. Yeah. But anyway, she's following this podcast now. So I can't say, I can't say, and I won't say anything bad about her, but she was a very pleasant woman. Hope I get to see her again in church or out of church. Um, but it's very, it was a very affirming moment for me because that, like I told you this morning, I um, I wanted to record a little bit later today because I was just having a rough go, I mm-hmm. wasn't prepared at all to just have these conversations uh that early. So I figured if I could have a little time to work, I could at least get my feelings back on track. And I felt like in that moment, God let me know He was still looking out for me. That's just good, a very little thing, but just to know that, um, you know to meet another black Mormon was just wild, man. Like, this happened before. Like, when I first, just after my divorce, I or at the onset of my divorce, rather, mm-hmm. I was also super down on myself. And one of my customers was, was a black woman. Uh, it was actually Lori, if you know her at all. She went to the uh, Black LDS Conference this year. But, um, you know... It, it was just another one of those affirming moments where I was like, mm-hmm. "It's I'm glad that the Lord is looking out for me because the odds of just running into a Black Mormon in the Greater Boston area is just very much a a very unlikely thing." Is the fan coming through? It might be, so we'll see be. what happens. I can turn your game down. It's not a big deal. Okay, this is better. Okay, cool. But yeah, that was uh, that was my morning. And that was uh, my week. I'm trying to think if anything else dope happened this week. I just did a bunch of work, started my Krav Maga classes, and other than that, it's been a very boring week. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into, right into the news for this week, see what's on the docket. So the equality bill, that is a hot topic yeah. this week. I, I'm not entirely sure where I want to start there. I definitely don't want to read the church's response to it, but I do want to briefly go over the provisions of the bill and Mm. I suppose what that means for members of the church. And it passed the House. It passed the House. Yes. So it would basically... The the Equality Act would basically outlaw sexual orientation and gender identity-based discrimination in housing, hiring, and other areas of public life. It would also limit the legal defenses available to those who, for religious reasons, violate these protections. So as far as I understand it, if, if the Equality Act passed in its current form and it's passed the house, then faith-based adoption agencies like the churches, the church home desert industries, religiously affiliated schools like BYU and hospitals and people of faith who own businesses, They'd all be vulnerable to discrimination-related lawsuits. The church couldn't refuse gay relationships at uh, you know at ad- at their adoption agencies, and the BYU Honor Code could no longer include prohibitions against homosexual relationships. So that's the kind of thing we are looking at mm-hmm. if this bill passes, if this act passes all the way through. So the church had a response to it. Yes, I read the response. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that response, Dave? Well, first of
1: all, this response looks like it came from lawyers rather than prophets. Okay. Because, uh, well, just based on even how it was phrased, like, oh, we need to have a balancing act and we need to, to juggle these different things. It sound, sounded very much like a what a lawyer would say rather than someone on fire with the spirit of the Lord who would mm-hmm. have a very different uh, statement. Okay.
0: There's a, there's a couple parts in there that are a little concerning to me. There is this reason they talk about why it's so important that we, quote-unquote, fairly... They wanted to fairly balance the scales. Did you, did you notice anything about the language that the church used that implies that they don't quite get what this is really about? Well, I did notice a difference between the language they
1: used for religious freedom, which I support religious freedom and liberty like Certainly. completely. Yeah, Certainly. that's not the issue. Um, when they talked about religious liberty, it was more like these are fundamental basic rights that are inviolable and inalienable and cannot be restricted. But then when they talked about LGBTQ rights, which they actually supported in some measure.
0: Yeah. Back they in said, 2015, they yeah. Had,
1: yeah, and in the even in the statement, they say we want balanced and fair and reasonable, all these like weasel words that they didn't use for religious rights, yeah. they used for LGBT rights, mm-hmm. which is I'm glad that they're not completely on the wrong side, mm-hmm. in the way they phrased this, uh, but I did notice that difference, mm. and I just want to talk a little bit about religious liberty because it's not an absolute right. Okay. Um, And I think every decent-minded person would agree with with this example. So you have um, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, which states that if two men lie together, they are both uh, committing an abomination and both are worthy of death. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know anyone in this country who would support people using that with the pretext of religious liberty, saying like, oh, I can go kill gay people because my Bible tells me I can't. And it Mm -hmm. does tell you you can, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, which is a longer conversation. But no one in this country that I know of is actually saying religious liberty means that I can hurt other people based on my religion. Religious liberty is, oh, if you want to wear a funny hat and sing funny songs and do this weird thing... And you're not hurting anyone fine do whatever you want it's kind of like what what the yeah but but this is an example of look if you are hurting someone else in the name of your religion there are limits to it the only debate is where those limits are Mm -hmm. right and different people will want to draw them in different places Mm -hmm. but we all agree that religious liberty is not absolute Mm. you cannot hurt people in the name of religion, and have that be protected. And that's why we have a constitutional government that balances the rights of minorities with the rights of majorities. And hopefully it all kind of comes to a compromise.
0: Compromise! That word is always so... It's always a little dirty to me, you know what I'm saying? Because just in thinking about what exactly the church would be forfeiting, quote-unquote, if this bill passes, I'm just like... But there's not even a real provision for that or a real prohibition for that in our doctrine, even though we talk about there being prohibitions for that in our faith. I just do not see any big losses on the part of the church if this passes. Like if members of the church who own their own businesses can't discriminate against people based on sexual orientation or, you know, or their sexual identification, then... How much of a how much of a loss is that really if almost if if members of the LGBTQ community are able to live authentically at, in spaces like BYU how big of a loss is that really if gay couples can adopt children through desert industries how big of a loss is that really I just don't I'm not inclined to a lot mm-hmm. of sympathy for religious organizations when I don't really perceive them as taking a loss
1: yeah and I think there's a there's a problem here. When their approach is fear-based, mm-hmm. they're fearing the worst, and they are coming from a, a model of scarcity. And when you are when you have this fear, like your prefrontal cortex actually goes offline, and you just think with with your uh, fear. Okay. And I think this is what's going on here. Like people are afraid that a lawsuit would allow um, gay couples to force the church to seal them in the temple, and okay. under our current. Uh, constitution and case law, that's impossible. Yeah. Like, like that is not something that you could, could do. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Catholics will not marry uh, divorced people. That is a, an, a fixed line that they have. No one in this country has gone, even thought of suing a Catholic church or a priest saying, you have to marry me in your church. Now, obviously, we have civil marriage, and that's a right, but you can't force any church or any religious organization to marry you if they don't want to. That is not their their job and the law has no reach on that. And I think that's people's fear is like, "Oh no, this will um well, uh so I think that's that's kind of the basis behind this. People are af- afraid of the worst and that's why they are uh against uh, against this in the name of religious freedom.
0: I see. Do you feel like there are people that kind of view this, particularly people on the religious side of things, who view this whole situation as a zero-sum game? Well, it could be.
1: But I think what they're more afraid of isn't the legal victories, but the moral ones. Because the more social uh, climate changes on this issue, the more that they will have a problem. Mm. So what they're trying to do is prevent... It's kind of like the... The sort of the differential stigma between pot and alcohol okay. is that one is, you know, people are more like, "Ooh, pot!" When it's in part because of the legal stigma, and once something is legalized, then a big social change may uh, may happen. I see. And I think they're they're worried about winning the the moral front
0: because if they lose that, if they lose that, then they're already. Yeah, I mean, they're already unpopular as it is. But if they lose that too, they'll be even. More unpopular. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think I see that. Uh, I'm going to take a minute to actually pull this up, uh, the actual statement, Mm -hmm. because I thought that was, oh gosh, I thought the statement that they put out was interesting just in a couple of the words they used. Church statement.
1: Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about, what they said is they want balance for all. They want to balance the rights of LGBTs with the rights of religious people who want to discriminate or whatever it is. And now this language about balance is different than what they said during the time of Prop 8 in California which was 2008 where the church was like no, we've got to draw this firm line there's no balance we need to oppose marriage equality with everything we have and, and and not come to some type of compromise. Like an ideal compromise would have been like okay, let's have civil marriage but then let's have a way of people opting out of, of performing civil marriages for uh, same-gender couples. And that is a compromise that the queer activists would have taken in the 90s or the 2000s. Um, and, and maybe they should have, I don't know. <laughs> but if they would have done a balanced-for-all thing back then, it would have saved a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of heartache, a lot of lives, uh, rather than having to fight this out Politically, mm-hmm. the way it
0: happened—that's unfortunate. I didn't even think about that. So there is some language in one of these paragraphs that I thought was super interesting. Now, this this is already a strong statement. This statement against the Equality Act before Congress, but uh, you, you talked about the standard of being balanced and being fair for all. But in this same paragraph, they talk about what this act would mean. They said it would threaten religious employment, defund numerous religious charities, and impose secular standards on religious activities and properties. And this one thing that really stood out to me, devastate religious education. Strong word, devastate religious education, but what exactly do you think they mean by that?
1: I think what they mean is that BYU currently participates in the federally funded student loan program. and And there's other ways that tax dollars actually support BYU students. And if the church had to make a choice of, oh, we have to change our rules or we have to, wait, we have to um, keep our policy the way it is and then forego federal funding or we have to change our policy in order to get uh, federal funding to continue, Mm. that is a choice that they will probably not want to make, right?
0: And And if they make in the
1: direction of of less money, then that could impact the education of people. And to me, I think that's fair because if tax dollars are doing something, we're all paying in. You've got some of this gay tax money in there, Mm -hmm. and we're all paying in. And if if that's the case, then it should be fair. If you are Mm -hmm. private, you can do what you want within certain limits, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Private schools can discriminate on the basis of gender if they want. Uh, they can discriminate on the basis of religion on, if they want. Um, and I think that's kind of fair in a way. Okay. Because that's – they're funding it, right? And so they get to do what they want yeah. within within reason. Of course. Um, but if something is, is funded by tax dollars, it can't be uh, discriminatory. And I think um, this is n- not really different in principle than the, the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s with reference to people of color. mm mm-hmm. Like, there were people who could have had religious objections and did have religious objections against that, but I'm like, come on. That's like saying uh, the Civil Rights Act violates the rights of KKK members. Like, well, maybe it does, but Mm -hmm. there's there's something that's about being in a civilized, decent society that we all come together, and we're not going to have certain things uh, in our society like discrimination based on... um, any of these other things, including race, gender, color, religion, um, or sexual orientation or gender identity. Mm. Now I will I will say that that private religious groups can discriminate. I think that's fair on certain things, like like religion, right? Mm. Like I can't go to my local synagogue and say, Well, you didn't hire me as a rabbi because I'm not Jewish and I'm gonna sue you and <laughs> you have to that doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? Within reason, these people can uh, pick their clergy, they can pick their religious leaders with certain discrimination in, in mind, right? Mm. And that and that's fair. Um, and I think that's religious liberty. But religious liberty doesn't mean, oh, I can hurt you in the realm of employment or public accommodation or um, hiring, education, housing, any of these things... It should not be a sword. ...based on... Uh, based on your identity. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there that is. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> is there anything else we want to say about this particular uh, the Equality Act before we move on to the next thing, the next hot topic for the week?
1: No, other <laughs> than uh, we have to look at – no, that's fine. Let's move on.
0: All right, we'll move on. So, the other hot topic this week has been, okay, we should probably briefly mention there have been a couple of changes made to the honor code as a result of, I mean, I'm not going to say there as a a direct result of the protests, but it would be hard not to correlate the two. Like, we get these protests that have been going on for like the last three months or so, three or four months, in addition to that Instagram account that's been online for like the last 18 months, and now suddenly we get these changes to to BYU's honor code. They aren't, they're not big changes, but they are changes nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, something to be applauded. You can go on the BYU's website right now to see those changes. They are, they're changes. And some progress is better than none at all.
1: Now, you know the, the joke about how many Mormons does it take to change a light bulb? I do not know this joke. Two. One, to make the change. And the second one to say, actually, that wasn't even a, really a change. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Right? We always say that, like, oh, that wasn't a change. It wasn't really, I mean, yeah. because I think Mormons are afraid of change means we used to be wrong. Correct. And first of all, we need to stop being afraid of that. Yeah. But what they want, they don't want to do is lose authority. So, like, oh, it wasn't really a change. And, and I think that's a similar thing with the changes in the temple that we're not supposed to talk about. Yep is like, oh, there was no change. <laughs> it's yeah. been like that. It's been like that. <laughs> yeah. So
0: Or that's how it's supposed to be. I know yeah. the church does that a lot, like especially which, with okay. Which is
1: which is tragic because part of real discipleship in a fallen world mm-hmm. is repentance and Absolutely. admitting you were wrong and figuring out where you went wrong and admitting it so that you don't do it again.
0: And I feel like that's part of continuing revelation right. as well. Like, we don't always have things that are complete or wholly right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we get, I mean, my favorite example of this is Peter in the New Testament when it came time to extend the gospel to all people. Mm-hmm. Like, we just, it's not to say that Peter was wholly wrong before or that Peter was acting um, or that, you know, the Gentiles were unworthy before, just Peter got new information. Mm -hmm. and was made to act on that new information that he got. It's okay to admit you have new information, and this is going to allow us to act better and in a more complete way. Uh, You've talked about gaps before we went on the air earlier today, and um, there were gaps left. We are simply filling in those gaps. And it's okay to admit that we did not have all the answers at the onset of the restoration. We didn't have them 100 years ago, 125 years ago. We don't have them now. And that's fine. Right. Like, there's nothing wrong with still not having the full picture. That, in fact, it would stand to reason that as a church that thrives on continuing mm-hmm. revelation, whose primary point, who one of our primary points of theology is that we have a living prophet and therefore have continuing mm-hmm. revelation, that we are only going to move in a positive direction with regard to the way not only our church is moving, mm-hmm. but the way our society is moving as well. Mm-hmm. We are going to receive more revelation that will help us operate better in the world around us, that is also constantly changing, so.
1: Yeah, and the, the real danger about not apologizing is this sort of trickle-down effect because people are still teaching stuff that, has, that we as a people should have disavowed. Correct. But because there's no apology saying, well, this is absolutely wrong and we should no longer teach it this way, and without that type of apology, then people will still, Still be teaching these Absolutely. things, and people still are
0: teaching them. Additionally, you talked about repentance just now. It doesn't allow us to fully repent, right? And even the church is going to need this repentance when it comes time mm-hmm. for us to fully reckon with the fact that we engaged in a you know a racist policy at one point, and we're currently engaged in homophobic policy. Like I don't right. think as a church we can fully repent, repent until we reckon with the changes that we will eventually make by apologizing mm-hmm. for the mistakes we've made in the past, and. Eventually, we are going to see that they were mistakes,
1: and that's the one thing Spencer W. Kimball got right in his book "Miracle of Forgiveness."
0: Miracle of Forgiveness. You actually read that whole thing.
1: Well, I've skimmed it. Okay. And there, there's a lot of it that that's not applicable, and a lot of it that we should apologize for. But the one of the parts <laughs> he says he says like, here's the repentance process. It it involves like acknowledging your mistake, mm-hmm. feeling sorry for it, admitting that you were wrong, and making the change. Making amends to the person that you've hurt, and then asking God for forgiveness. Like the church, a lot of us in the church typically just do the oh, let's do the right thing, and not even talk about it. What it's okay because I'm doing the right thing right now. Right from now on, we're doing we're gut right. But that's not good enough, according to Spencer W. Kimball.
0: It is not. It is not. So yeah, we gotta we gotta fully reckon with that. Not just. It's, it's important to do right. And I would go as far as to say is it's the most part of the repentance process mm-hmm. is we forget, we forsake the negative behaviors and only embrace the better behaviors from here on out. But without a proper acknowledgement of those things, then what about the people that we've hurt? What about the, the, the damage done to ourselves? What like We're not fully repenting if we can't really come to terms with acknowledging what we've done wrong. So I, li- I like that a lot. I've never read the book, Miracle of Forgiveness. I was counseled strongly against it in my mission prep. That's when I started reading all the church books. And Uh it just shocks me that you as a convert, when that book wasn't really popping at the time of your conversion, (laughs) that you've even made it so far as to skim the book. So one of these days, I'm going to have to get more of your thoughts on that book. But uh, for the sake of time, we'll go ahead and move Mm -hmm. on to the other hot topic this week, which has been uh, abortion. All kinds of things about abortion this week. Where where do you want to start, Derek?
1: Yeah, I there's just so much to to say in just a little time, but I think the the one thing I want to talk about is not well we can talk about the the debate in the, itself, but if we take a step back and look at well what how does this piece fit in the framework of the rest of your approach to life? Okay. Like there's some so the groups that are that are highly behind these new laws uh, that restrict women's uh, right, uh, the rights of women and people with uteruses to, uh, to choose, a lot of them don't care about the children after they're born, right? Yeah. So Alabama has one of the highest rates of, of childhood poverty and lack of um, education. They have one of the worst education systems. There's all these other things they're, they're that worst, that, ma- that make this law seem hypo- so hypocritical. Yeah. Because it's not like, oh, we want people to thrive. We want these children to be born and have good, happy lives. Yep. It's like we want to punish women is what it really looks like.
0: We want to control women is yes. what it looks like to me.
1: Yes, men. to control women. And, you know, this is the funny thing about the, the hypocrisy, the uh, Alabama bill, which I haven't actually read. Um, now. Nat- it actually exempts embryos that are in a fertility clinic, like through IVF. Yo, I got questions about that too. Okay. So like, and their logic is, well, if it's not in a woman, she's not pregnant. And so you, you can destroy these embryos. I'm like, that's telling me it's about controlling the women. Yep. Right. And then if you look at the other side, the people who are more, I don't even really like the words pro-life and pro-choice because it, there's problems but
0: they're very nuanced
1: the 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 other side is like okay we want to do things that will actually reduce unwanted pregnancies and reduce abortions things mm-hmm. like um access to health care access to affordable uh, or free contraception access to comprehensive sex ed so that people know you know how these things like uh the prevention of rape and sexual assault and better, better medical care so that so that you have better outcomes for for pregnancies and all these things that if you we did them all we could reproduce uh we could produce a climate where the number of unwanted pregnancies is very low and the number of abortions is very low mm. And just looking at at how these pieces fit within the entire frameworks of, of these sides, it's very clear where your values are and what your hypocrisies are.
0: Yep. Now, if I could just briefly for the listeners remind what the church's stance on abortion is. The church as it stands generally condemns abortion unless in the case of rape, incest, or where the health of the baby or the mother is greatly compromised. Right. Did I hit all the uh, Stipulations All the exceptions I, Right better? Okay That's where the church Stands on This particular issue
1: Which is interesting Because the Alabama Policy means That That actually now Im- Impacts our Religious freedom Because mm-hmm. then we're Not able To To uh, have the, the
0: exceptions That's right Because even in Yeah Even in those exceptions Those don't apply In Alabama's law Which
1: Yeah okay. It's
0: There's a There's a problem I'm about Definitely to say. Also jokes, but not really appropriate right now. <laughs> There's just too much going on with this particular issue that just makes my heart hurt. And this goes beyond the fact that there are an entire governments trying to regulate and control women's bodies. Mm-hmm. And everybody And I was looking at Alabama's you know, the people who made this decision in Alabama, particularly the newly elected people in that governing body there's 26 of them Mm -hmm. all but one of them are male all of them are white and I can't help but think to myself that if this is who you choose to represent you these are going to be the kinds of decisions that they make it is going to be directed to keeping people away from power keeping people away from autonomy over their whole person it's as you said it doesn't really Mm -hmm. seem like it's about life it doesn't seem it's about Uh, giving the best life possible to children. It seems far more about misogyny. It seems far more about control. It seems far more about simply Mm -hmm. being able to write the rules that govern the world we live in, and that's really unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and one other thing to notice is that in terms of we don't have a doctrine that says exactly, quote, when the soul enters the body. We do not. Um, but what what we can say is we do not do um, temple work or blessings for stillborn or miscarried uh, fetuses, mm-hmm. um, which would imply that there's some other I don't know. Some other also, thing.
0: we don't we generally don't baptize anyone for the dead. That is that hasn't reached the age of accountability, right. which we have defined as eight years old. So um, yeah, you know. that is that's not that wouldn't be a thing. Anyway, so far as I can tell. Yeah, but
1: there. I mean, there could be this idea of oh, you do a baby blessing for a for a stillborn baby, but we don't even do that.
0: We don't do that at all. We don't do that at all. This, the the. This goes back to something you said a while ago, and it just briefly escaped me. I got to wait for the idea to come back. I'm gonna have to edit this out because now I'm gonna be quiet for a long time. Mm, What was it? What was it? What was it? was it about hypocrisy nah not directly not directly ah it'll come back it's important it'll come back do you got any other thoughts about this you want to share Derek Mm.
1: no other than um let's talk let's talk about Jesus right yeah let's talk about Jesus so Jesus one of the things that made him the most mad was hypocrisy. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think that's, if we want to be like Jesus and we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, we have to look at where
0: the hypocrisy is. And it's back. The idea is back. Okay. Okay. So we talked last week about, or a couple of weeks ago maybe, about how we often let what we don't know when it comes to the gospel get in the way with what we of what we do know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now we talked about, I think we briefly addressed Matthew chapter 23, which is pointing directly to this thing that made Jesus mad, Mm -hmm. hypocrisy. The Mm -hmm. hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, where they were in essence using the law of the gospel to disqualify other people from God's love. But at the end of the day, we didn't really, first of all, Jesus was the law. He fulfilled the law. And he brought a greater law, which he summarized in the chapter before. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, my mind, and strength. Now, what this looks like to too many people, or if they're thinking about it at all, means using God's word as a sword to, in essence, deny people autonomy over their bodies, among mm-hmm. several other things. But there really isn't anything in the scriptures that teaches us that what we're doing currently is the moral imperative. And that is my primary problem with what is happening right now with regard to abortion is that people are uh, leaning their morals all up in this debate and they're leaning their morals on God, but God doesn't really have anything to say about this, which I believe is extremely problematic. And Mm -hmm. I believe it's the primary sin of the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. They are using things that they think God said or they want to think God said To deny people rights to deny people God's love to deny people the blessings of the Mm -hmm. gospel of Jesus Christ and that is at the that is the root cause of my problem with what is happening right now concerning this concerning this debate is if you are trying to look to the Bible or if you're trying to look to Christianity to justify what is happening Mm -hmm. right now you are definitely looking beyond the mark you are grossly off the path because there is literally nothing in the scriptures that sustains what you are doing right now
1: yeah and uh, and i think we we get into this to this tricky thing about um about there's no let's let's look at another part of the hypocrisy like suppose that i need a kidney okay mm-hmm. i can't go to my mom and say, you have to give me your kidney. Or even if I'm going to die without my mom's kidney, mm-hmm. there is no legal way I can force her to support my life at the expense of her body. Right? Now, if she's my mom, she might, she might give it to me. But my point is, there's, I cannot go and use someone else's body to sustain my life um, and have the backing of the law on this. Right. right, I cannot take your blood or your organs, even if you're dead. Mm-hmm. I cannot uh, harvest your organs for donation without your consent beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is something that we do not allow women and people with uteruses to to have under this Alabama law. It mm-hmm. says you are required you are required by law to use your body, which is risky. I mean, there's pregnancy is difficult. There's health risks. There's um, the risk of death. There's a whole lot of other things involved. Basically, you're, you're a, you are you're must use your body to support uh, someone else. I'm like, we don't do that anywhere else in the law. And I think that's just another piece of hypocrisy that needs to be pointed out.
0: Oh, absolutely. And when it was in the law, it was some of our most grotesque uh, crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. I, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking about things like slavery. I'm thinking about things like Jim Crow for specifically mm-hmm. the black codes where literally our bodies could have been used at the disposal of the ruling class. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? So I really don't think this law is going to last long. I, I really I don't, but, um, and 2019, then we, this is happening. And then,
1: and then another thing to, to, to do is think about this on like on a population level. Like if you are rich, if you're a rich, right man, um, And your mistress or daughter or boyfriend's girlfriend, or no, your son's girlfriend. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops, I had a a little flip. But anyway, so if if you have like a mistress or a daughter or a daughter-in-law or your boyfriend's or your son's girlfriend, and they get pregnant, and you're in Alabama, you can fly them to Europe. You can fly them to Massachusetts. Like poor black and brown women... Can't do that. No. And so, basically, what this is doing is an, another layer of hip- hypocrisy. And yeah. you know, a lot of these men will pay for these abortions for oh, their, the women in their life. They will do whatever it takes and send them wherever. They have that privilege, and they know that basically what this is doing is uh, punishing uh, the poor, poor, the black, the brown. Yeah. Yeah. This is another another thing that needs to be uh, looked at.
0: And I'm going to like if there's nothing else to say about this particular issue, I'm going to circle back to this in the prayer roll because, you know, this is um, this is something that merits more conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, and one other thing I want to say
1: is, I noticed um, on Facebook a number of women say, "Where are all the like white male progressive voices on this? Why are my friends all silent Mm -hmm. when it comes to this?" And that's why I'm determined not to be silent. I'd rather say something and have it not be completely right, yeah, than to say nothing at all. Because even if I don't get it completely right, and, and in this world, right, um, no one's 100% woke on every issue. Oh, absolutely and, not. And so we we can't uh, completely condemn people for not using this week's terminology, mm-hmm. right? but we but we can say, well, if you don't do anything and if you're completely silent in the face of injustice, in the face of being an ally, there's something even worse than, than doing your best and, and saying what and so that I'm probably not saying everything right right now <laughs> in terms of being the most uh, feminist. But my point is like at least I'm saying something, mm. right? And I'm saying this isn't what's happening is not okay. We need better solutions. We need better um, ways of bringing people from all sides together. To to do this better,
0: yes, very good. Well said. Yeah.
1: So that's all I'm going to say about that for right now.
0: Sounds good. Then let's go ahead and move on to our comp study, and uh, talk about Yay. our insights from uh, from this week's "Come Follow Me" lesson. Um, this is what were the highlights of this lesson. It was the rich young ruler, and it was also the Savior's teachings on the family. Mm-hmm. There were a couple other things in here. Uh, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Yes, the laborers in the vineyard. Which I'll be vineyard. talking about. Okay, perfect. Cause I, I got nothing from that, but I got something on the other two. So I will start with. I'm gonna start with my insight on the rich young ruler. There's a couple. I, I like. I don't often get something new when I review this, but. Basically the overview of this story is a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, "Good master, what can I do that I might inherit eternal life?" And Jesus is like, Jesus basically repeats the law, and the rich young ruler is like, "I've been keeping the law since I was young. What lack I yet?" And Jesus tells him, "One thing thou lackest: sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then follow me." And then the rich young ruler goes away grieving for he had great possessions. So often mm-hmm. the lesson that we get from this particular parable, it's not a parable, this story yeah. of Jesus is that, okay, so just after this story, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven. It says says, easier for a camel to get through the eye of, an eedle, an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Now, this is something that stood out to me, though it may have been plain to other people before. The reason that a rich man it's so difficult for a rich man to get into heaven is not because God doesn't like rich people that's not the reason at all and I don't think that's the point that Jesus was trying to drive home here the point is that oftentimes people with wealth have difficulty parting with it or difficulty sacrificing it Mm -hmm. and this is the real spirit of the story that I really want to get to oftentimes everybody and this just isn't just rich people often a lot of us have um, we have possessions, we have we have habits, right. we have we have all kinds of things that we hold on to. Yeah, that it are, ends up being idolatry. It ends up being idolatry, exactly. You're totally right about that. Like this is the whole Loving thing. Loving
1: something else more than you love God
0: is the real that is problem. It. That is not it. that oh you have money. I mean That is it. And it could still even be good things, you know what I'm saying? Like I know people who are fanatics about genealogy, you know what I'm saying? And they don't mm you know pay attention to their callings or their families mm. or other things their their physical health they don't pay attention to like that's that's the root of it for me it's it's the idolatry you can be in you can be heavily involved in a very good thing but if it's not bringing you closer to our savior jesus christ then there is a problem and that's the whole point of this story is we all have these habits or these possessions or these things in our lives that may be precluding us from a better relationship with the savior yeah, and this gets back to like
1: why does our church make statements around LGBT rights but not enough statements around economic justice? Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus says sell everything you have and give to the poor. Basically, if you are hoarding wealth at the expense of your neighbor mm-hmm. and and who is suffering, this is going to keep you out of heaven, right? Yeah. That's actually right. We should uh yeah, I mean, a lot of people think it's it's the gays that are going to go to hell, but it's actually <laughs> reverse, and, yeah. and we'll talk about reversals
0: later. Um, in, are we going to talk about the rich man and Lazarus again? Because no. That just came into my mind again as you said that. Yeah,
1: but but yeah, it's like Jesus talked about economic justice so much. I wish that Christians would be known as the people of economic justice rather than the people of abortion and gays. Abortion right. and gays. Right? <laughs> so for like for the last 40 years, the Christian public— Broadly in America has been about abortion and gays yep. and women and you know why can't we be known for the people who stand up for the poor? Yep. Why can't we be known for the people who are actually like Jesus mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of calling out the rich and saying, "Look, you are are hurting other people by hoarding wealth that you don't need and you can't take with you."
0: Um. So yeah, let me. Ju- that's enough about that for now. Okay. The other insight that I wanted to draw attention to was there's a prompt in the. Come Follow Me student manual that I didn't think about before, but it asked, in what ways was the rich young ruler sincere or trying? Like, I don't remember what exactly the question was, but it just drove home the point that the rich young ruler wasn't a bad person. Like, the rich young ruler could just as easily have been any one of us, any mm-hmm. of the members of the church. He, like, this is the language they use in... Um, In that particular story, the rich young ruler ran to him, he knelt before him, and he called him master. This is somebody who could easily be be identified as a disciple of Christ. We can call this rich young ruler a disciple of Christ because he went after Jesus, he showed the due respect, and he asked him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, this rich young ruler wasn't a wicked person. This was a good man who simply wanted to know what he lacked. So... Yeah, I I feel like a lot of us in the church are like that. I feel like all of us are like that to an extent We all are trying to be better like genuinely trying to be better We go to church every Sunday We tick off all the boxes like Jesus goes through the whole of the mosaic law with him just before the young man says all I all these I've kept from my from my youth up in effect saying I already check all these boxes You know, I have a current temple recommend. I keep the word of wisdom the law of tithing. Mm -hmm. I do all of these things What else can I do? And then when we finally learn what else can we do, we go to a general conference or a state conference and they tell us, you got to keep the Sabbath day holy. If that means not watching your football games, then don't watch your football games. Y'all got to yeah. pay an honest tithe. Y'all got to give a more generous fast offering. Y'all have to be more active in your communities. These are just – yeah. this is just an example of the things that we might be asked to do that we're not entirely comfortable with.
1: Yeah, and I think there's this cultural thing. It's completely not doctrinal in our church, but this cultural – idea of focusing on certain commandments and certain i think these the reason that they're focused on is because you can know for certain if you're doing them or not like tithing mm-hmm. you know if yep. you're, you're what where 10 percent is yep you word of wisdom you know if you've had cough you're not adultery like it's hard to commit adultery by mistake like oh no you're not my wife how did this happen <laughs> like no one no one does those things you know by mistake also, they're very uh, visible, you know, right. like going and to church so goes, on Sunday. So it goes into all of these um, social marking and tribal identity pieces. That's a
0: great way of putting it, social marking.
1: And so, yeah, like, are you are you wearing your garments? Are you yeah, –
0: They give us social capital.
1: Yeah, are you obeying the word of wisdom? Mm-hmm. Like, there are many more commandments that involve hurting others or not hurting others, like around gossip or not mm. – or being respectful and kind to one another, like – just all of these other things that are harder to quantify and they never get named as like, so basically when people say, are you keeping your covenants or keeping your commandments? They have this list of 10 things in their head.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but there's just so many more things. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying like, no matter what you've got on your little short list of 10, there's more that you need to get, get done. And these are the hard things. The one that ones that require a lifetime of discipleship and character formation, which so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the – even the missionary work focuses on, oh, you got to give up smoking. Oh, you've got to give up coffee. And on a on a categorical level, those are, like, easy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know whether you're you're doing it or not, and you can just, you know, not doing it. But but having a sense of goodwill and loving your enemies, they should put that in the missionary discussions. Like, I have you been loving your enemies? Because a lot of people haven't been doing that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And Jesus wants us in this mortal life to do the hard things. That's how we become celestial adults. That's how we go Mm -hmm. from being um, from a larva to a butterfly. Mm. Yes, sir. sir. through the the hard stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we should talk about um, the marriage,
0: divorce, family stuff. Okay. I know you're going to have a ton of things to say about this or a ton more... Intelligent things to say about this. So I'm gonna go first on this one too if it's all the same to you. (laughs) That's fine Okay, so first thing I noticed was the heading reads marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God I don't have a problem with that because it's not saying explicitly only exactly It's not saying only that but Mm -hmm. this is what follows here Uh, First of all is the verses that are highlighted just under that title. It's basically some people coming to Jesus asking them about divorce you know right and in those You know, 10 or 12 verses, depending on which account you're looking at, Jesus doesn't say anything explicit about the nature of marriage being between just a man and just a woman. He basically just repeats the Old Testament law. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus does. Now, this is what really gets me. Just after this section is the link to that video that we were discussing before the show. Now, this video, like in the opening, like three minutes of it or whatever, is two women arguing in a classroom or a boardroom, something like that, Over the Mormon Church's stance on marriage equality quote-unquote basically pointing out that the church is not okay with gay marriage now this is the implication of that video being included in this section in addition to being included after that section where they address that our views on marriage equality may not be popular I'm just like if you if you want to say that marriage between a man and a woman is the only one that's acceptable just say that but they didn't just say that. They left this window open because perhaps they knew that in these verses that they tell us to read there's no explicit condemnation of marriage between a man and a man or marriage between a woman and a woman. You're not going to find that in scriptures. It wasn't even on the radar at the time that the Bible was written, but the implication of including this video and including those other resources that are in the study manual, they are saying that marriage is only between a man and a woman. So I take issue with that. I want Mm -hmm. the church to just say what they mean. The church in, at least in my lifetime has never explicitly quoted not in general conference anyway, have never quoted anything outside of these verses that we are reading right now to tout marriage, to tout traditional marriage. So I don't really know where to go from here, except to simply say that these verses that the church is giving us to teach us that marriage is only between a man and a woman do not do their job in convincing us that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Again, marriage between, sorry, homosexual relationships or marriages or relationships between a man and a man or a woman and a woman those while sexual relationships of that nature certainly did happen in classical antiquity this whole idea of homosexuality this whole idea of being gay as an identity held in Mm -hmm. contradistinction to heterosexuality that didn't exist until about 200 years ago so to even imply that the bible is going to say anything about Homosexual relationships, particularly in the context of love, commitment, and fidelity, mm-hmm. is pretty dishonest to me. Right, right. Yeah, I agree
1: that that when you look at what, what it says in Genesis or what Jesus is saying here, the contrast is not between gay and straight marriages. That's not No, even, it is not. That's not. There's no contrast made. Correct. It, Jesus does quote Genesis saying um, uh, that, have you never read that in the beginning he made them male and female? Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, What's interesting, though, is that Jesus is pulling from two different creation narratives, the Genesis 1 creation narrative, which says God created the male and female, and then the Genesis 2 creation narrative that says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and cleave to his uh, wife. What Jesus does when he sutures those two together, he omits what happens in chapter 1 of Genesis right after it says... um, uh, God created the male and female it says he uh, blessed them to be fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. right and so Jesus leaves that out jumping straight from this to this is the reason why a man will will cleave to his wife and what's interesting about that is he disentangles marriage from procreation and ends up making it about companionship and about mm-hmm uh commitment and covenant yes, right yes. so i think this move here that jesus does is very brilliant especially because of where he goes with it later on in the uh statement about the eunuchs which is okay. not mentioned in the uh in the lesson no it is not but it's right here in jesus's word and and matthew is the only one of the gospels to to note this um okay. and so ba- basically after he prohibits divorce the disciples are like, oh no, this is, this is awful because now we're going to be stuck in marriages and it's better not to be married, you know, better not to be married at all. And then he basically says, you know, um, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Some Mm -hmm. people will marry, some people won't. And he says that's okay because there are some who are eunuchs who are, who are born that way. Some who are you made that way by others and then others who, uh, made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Mm. So he's saying, look, it's, we know that some people are not going to get married for various different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are many ways. Uh, he lists three of them right here, three different ways, including um, some that are born that way. Now, obviously, that is not at all the same as being LGBT. Correct. Very different. But what it does do is tells us a little bit about the nature of God, which is the same. And God knows and loves all of us. And, and knows that there, there are some people who, by nature of their birth, are not going to be having children, are not mm-hmm. going to be married, uh, not going to be married, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all of this headache around, like, oh, no, like, I, you know, I need to be sealed or else I'm never going to see my family, that's, that's not at all, I think, a valid deduction from what Jesus is saying here. In fact, there is no record in the Gospels of Jesus himself being married. Mm-hmm. Um And I can't prove a negative. Like I can't prove that he was never married. I can't prove that. I don't have all the facts. But what I can show is that there's no tradition of him being married that was a public example in the church. Mm -hmm. That is real, right? There is nothing in any of our scriptures that holds Jesus out as a public example of marriage. We have that for his baptism. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness and so that we if we want to go through the ordinances and covenants, we have to be baptized too, right? We have this example in Jesus. We do not have any um, public example, any known tradition of him being married. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, Paul gives us a tidbit that leads us to think that Jesus was probably not married. And it's basically Paul saying, um, well, of course I have the right to a believing wife, right? This is about the... Apostles' right to get married, and what what Paul says is, look, Cephas got married; these other people got married, um, and if Paul had known that Jesus was married, he would he would have definitely put that as an example of that's why it's okay for the Lord's servants to be married. Um. Well, anyway, back to back to what we've got going on here. Yeah. And I think the eunuch piece also gets back to a theme of reversals. The people on top ending up on the bottom or the people on the bottom ending up on top. Um, And I think that's that's a really important part of his uh, context here in in chapter 19. Look, people think eunuchs are left out and and Jesus is saying, look, um, they're not left out. In fact, some of them are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And the same thing. There's there's children. There's the, the t- statement about rich people and poor people, and who's actually in the right place. And it's not the rich people. And mm-hmm. it's and it turns out it's not the 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 oppressors or it's not the the dominant the dominant people. It's the marginalized it's the people. people. On the margins, yeah. Exactly. And I think if we read that into what Jesus says about male and female, there's no way we can use that to uh, be mean to people who are not in a straight marriage. Certainly. Right. Certainly. And let, let me talk about chapter 20. I love the parable okay. of the laborers in the vineyard, which okay. is basically.
0: Um, Can I actually add one more point to this? Oh, yeah. Because you've, you've, you've said it already, but I just wanted to provide more scriptural backing for it. Um, we talked about how the most important things Jesus taught about marriage, or if rather you talked about this, is about the commitment, it's about the fidelity. Mm-hmm. And then Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he further solidifies this, talks about how so ought men. To love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is that he might present it to him, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it be, should be holy without blemish. So ought men love their wives as their own bodies. He that loved his wife loved himself. So this is far more about, like mm-hmm. when it comes to the marriage vows, this is far more about uh, being committed to somebody. And honoring that commitment than it is about anatomical complementarity,
1: or about procreation, which or Ephesians procreation. five does not at anywhere mm-hmm. justify a marriage on the basis of the children it may or may not have. You absolutely. know, you know, a marriage that's not going to have children is President Nelson and Sister Nelson. They're they're not ah. going to have children, nope. and their marriage is real and valid. Yeah, absolutely. Right? and we sh- we cannot make the value of a marriage dependent on. Uh, on, on procreation, which at is least, what which is, so is just an excuse. It, it's an excuse. Absolutely. People people are just trying to grasp at straws to say something as to, to why uh, queer relationships are <laughs> different something. than straight. No, they have to make up reasons why queer relationships would not be ethically the same mm-hmm. as straight relations. Well anyway, let's go back to Oh yes, the parable um, of the uh, the vineyard? What yes. What's it called? The labourers in the vineyard. So what happens is you've got Um, a landowner who has a vineyard and he needs workers and he Mm -hmm. goes, notice that all of the workers are there at the beginning of the story. They're all in the public marketplace waiting for a job. They're basically unemployed. Um, One denarius was a subsistence level uh, wage for one day of work. Um, Not a lot. It was enough to survive, but it it was one of, well, if you have to work for that wage, you're going to take it because there's no other option. So these people were there ready to work. It's not like they were lazy and, and, and whatever. They were there. They showed up. But the landowner only hired a portion of them
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for one denarius per day. And then um he needs more throughout the day and then at the eleventh hour he finds some more. And then the final ones work only one hour. But then he pays them all the same. He pays them all what he agreed mm-hmm. in part because it's a justice issue. Because they needed that wage yeah. to live for that day. Yeah. If they didn't get their wage, they didn't have enough food. These mm-hmm. people were literally paycheck to paycheck, and their paycheck was every day.
0: Yeah.
1: And so um, they've got a problem if they, don't, if they don't get the wage. Now, what I love is one of these early workers who was working all day complained to the landowner. And the landowner is basically a symbol of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is what, how Christ treats us. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. He says to the Christ figure, you know, I'm so mad. Like, I worked here all day and you made me equal to the one who only worked one hour. Mm. I I found that so beautiful. Jesus is the one who makes us equal. Not the same, but makes us equal in terms of providing what we need Mm. because we all need the same uh, denarius per day and Jesus graciously uh, gives us that. And I think that... Bas- that is so beautiful I mean there's someone listening to this podcast who needs to hear this today <laughs> absolutely that that God reaches out to the people on the margins and makes mm. them equal and then other people are going to complain about it but guess where God is and guess where they are you know so so treasure that in your heart
0: further there's some comfort to be had for people who do not feel they're all the way there yet in terms of their understanding of the gospel um, mm-hmm. there are There are people who take a universalist approach when it comes to the scriptures that often point to this verse as evidence that no matter where you are in your journey at some point every opportunity every bit of knowledge everything that is entitled to us from the gospel of jesus christ is eventually going to be given to us and uh, or at Mm -hmm. least the opportunity to obtain it will be given to us Um, how that is interesting in an lds perspective is there are some of us who are here who may have lived less than perfect lives. There may be certain covenants we haven't taken on. There may be uh, people that we love who have once made covenants and have since abandoned them. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that the majority of these people who who find themselves in these situations aren't there because they want to rebel against God they're there because they are doing the best they can for yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. They are trying to remain emotionally healthy. They're trying to follow, they're trying to be good people, they're trying to live good lives, fulfilling lives. And just because they are not on board in every way that the church prescribes doesn't mean that we're not going to see them in the celestial kingdom. Yeah. And I love the fact that it says the
1: the the first shall be last, or the last shall be first and the first last. And that is just so brilliant because a lot of people in the LDS culture think the people on top here are going to be on on top in the celestial kingdom, like the ones with the the perfect family and the job and the wealth and the the one wife and the 2.4 or 3.7 kids and the dog and the picket fence. Like they have all the good stuff in this life and they're going to get it in the next life. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. (laughs) things are going well for you now, I'd be careful, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So yeah, and I think that's that's uh, that's kind of it that I had for this. I could talk about this for a lot a lot a long time. Sweet. But but yeah, there's there's hope, and I think there's no no good reason to use any of this text to re-marginalize the marginalized. It's all about flipping our expectations upside down and reversing people's fates and fortunes and surprising people with who's who's yeah you know. You know this is very interesting because part of, part of the argument in, in Acts and in Paul is that um, the Jews, and we shouldn't use this anti-Semitically, right? right? This is their argument. They said, well, the covenant was given to the Jews, but then they, they didn't keep it, so then it was given over to the Gentiles.
0: Mm.
1: And there's some of this in the Gospels as well. I wonder if a similar thing is true. Straight people have been in charge of this church for almost 200 years. If they don't get their acting together, God's going to take away the church from the straight people and give it to the queer people. <laughs> and we're going to have our chance. There you go. Right? If they don't get it together. Yeah. So so I'd be careful. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that, that the church will, will be destroyed or vanished from the face, face of the earth. It will right. at least just be given to other people. Yeah. People who, uh, who will yeah. appreciate it and yes. understand it and live it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This kind of uh, harkens back to, uh, what is it, the... The parable of the great banquet that we discussed last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't show up to the banquet, I'm going to invite people who are going to come on the day of who are going to appreciate <laughs> right. my great supper because yeah. you couldn't be here because you bought some land sight unseen because you did all this other ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Yeah. G- G- Jesus is not having it. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing what that is going to look like because we are going to see it, if not in this life, yeah. certainly in the one to come. Okay. So if that's all for our insights from this week's uh, lesson in the, the Come Follow mm-hmm. Me. Let us go ahead and move on to the prayer roll. Now, who are you? Are you putting anybody on the prayer roll this yeah, week? Yeah, I'm putting the,
1: the, that ward in West Virginia. Okay, yeah. you um,
0: Yeah, talk about okay, the so ward let in West Virginia. Sa- okay,
1: so I saw this video. It was taken um, at this video that was taken at a fast and testimony meeting where two women, two mothers got up to share their testimony And one of them talked about how her, both of them, had sons who were victims of sexual assault, okay, uh, a number of years ago. And the church leaders basically took the side of the perpetrator and kind of covered it up. And now the perpetrator is now in prison for decades, but um, a number of new people had moved into the ward and in an act of, Telling the truth, which is testimony, is telling your truth. They they got up and said, "I know a number of people are near the ward, but I needed to tell you that um, the leaders of this church are protecting pedophiles, and you need to keep your kids safe." Which I think is a valid thing that they need to hear. Okay. Now the, the way they did it is obviously very confrontational, but this
0: happened the, within the ward, right?
1: Within the ward. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, this
0: was the leaders of their congregation,
1: right. that Got covered this yeah. stuff up. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so what happened was, as they were doing this, the bishop—I'm assuming the bishop—came up and very aggressively, um, and threateningly said, "This is not the right time or place." And I think that is a very, very unfair statement because mm-hmm. what better right time or place is there? And where is it? And a place where you can ignore it? Like, yeah. Where is, like where is it? And then the second thing that really bugged me was the 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 ward. The people in the congregation started this, singing. This was creepy, man. Like, they this? started singing. I believe in Christ. Let's talk about hypocrisy, dude. Let's talk dude! about hypocrisy for a second. Yeah, because putting the name of Jesus on Christ your lips, in your mouth, as you are doing something
0: extremely un—sorry. Okay, ahead.
1: now let's talk about where Christ is in this. Christ okay. has the personality where he overturned the tables in the temple. Yeah. Right. People, a lot of people are like, you need to be respectful and have decorum and and this is not the right time or place. You need to respect our what it is, is you need to respect our power structures. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not you need to respect the dignity and safety of children, which is really what they should be respecting almost over any other value. Right. They're like, we would rather have our nice, pretty picture than deal with the fact of there's this major problem. And it's just so hypocritical that they're putting the name of Jesus on th- their lips in order to silence the person who's actually acting like Jesus. You know, I was—I tr- need to do a study of how many times Jesus disrupted a worship. Because <laughs> there's numbers. <laughs> I'm thinking of Luke chapter 4 where he's in Nazareth and he preaches and he basically says, you know what you we just read? That's me. Yep. And he said it in a way that made them want to throw him off a cliff. Yep. yep. And then, like... Yeah, there's many times where he taught and it was relatively peaceful, but there's other times where he was very, very um, like, threatening to the power structures. Yeah. And, and he caused a lot of commotion. That's You don't end up on the cross if, you, if you're nice and, and, and have all the etiquette in, in line, right? Right, right. And I think what they were doing is exactly what Dr. King complained about rightly when he said, you people are more devoted to order than you to are, justice. Yeah. And this Negative is exactly... Peace. What they were doing is they're more devoted to order than to justice. They're more devoted to what they look like mm. than whether their kids are safe. Yes, and Jesus is on the side of the kids in mm. a number of places. He's like, if if you cause if you if you cause a problem for one of these kids, it's better for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck um, than to than to, to hurt one of these kids. This is like completely antithetical to Christ to cover up. Uh, you know, and I get that it's disruptive, right? And and I, I may or may not have done what they did, but, but that's separate from, from they can control their reaction. And the fact that they sang using some, something sacred, they literally took the name of the Lord in vain. In vain. Yep. This is exactly the wrong thing. They put the name on their lips, but not in their hearts because otherwise they would have been open and say, you know what? And here's the other thing. If they're so concerned about their image, there's the, like, zooming out problem. Okay, how does this look like on the video? If you're an investigator and you saw this video, dude, you you, you won't join the church. Probably not. No. Because, A, it looks like these people, like, your kids are not going to be safe. And Right? Yeah. Like, if, they're, if they cared about their image, they would have gotten on the video and said, hey, you know what? We are a church that we believe in doing the right thing, you know? Do what is right. Choose the right, you know, let the consequence follow. We are going to stand up for kids. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this. It, it may embarrass in the, us in the moment, but we got to do the right thing. Absolutely. That would get the respect of the broader public. What mm. they did, I hate to say it looks cult-like, but it really does. That's
0: the second problem I have with
1: it. It looks very cult-like, what just happened in that video. Like Jesus said, you know, what what you do in the secret is going to be hit out in the light. Yeah. And this is exactly what happened. It's on video. I think, here's my theory, is that everyone in the church should always assume that they're on video at all times. Really right? should.
0: That'd be wise. And,
1: like, how would this look, like, to an investigator is what they should have in their head. And singing to cover up a woman who's crying because her son's life has been significantly devastated. Singing in the name of Christ, nonetheless. This is not a good look. No. Not a good look. No, no, and they, no. they didn't they didn't consult with me first. No. <laughs> no. I would have told them now I have to think about what do I do if I'm in that ward? How do I, how do I, uh, what would I do? Mm. I'd have to think about how I did that. I would, uh, I would, I would put a stop to that.
0: I'm punching the organist. No question. Like,
1: oh, the organist joined in. Yeah. Once they started singing, I'm like, why are you covering up? This is, you know, who covered up? Let's talk about Acts chapter seven. Okay. Stephen was preaching very long sermon, um, Talking about how the people were, were stiff-necked. And you know stiff-necked? A lot of people don't know realize what that means. Mm-hmm. What it means is you've got some injustice or something going over here on the side, and you will not turn your neck to look at it. Mm-hmm. You refuse to turn your neck. And that's why he called them stiff-necked. Ah. He's like, you're hypocrites. You're stiff-necked. You don't, you know. And then they they shut their ears yeah. and scream. And so that they could not hear what Stephen was saying to them. He Mm -hmm. was testifying the truth. He was on fire for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And they refused to listen. That's exactly what the people did in uh, this ward. Mm -hmm. And so, so, yeah, God's going to have to help them. And they're going to be accountable for that on judgment day. God's going to be like, let's roll back the timestamps and we're going to watch this video. And you're going to have to explain to all these kids why you did that. Mm Mm-hmm on Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be happy. Okay, so you, that's all. I'm, you, What else do you have to say about that? Anything? Or we can go on to what you need. I, I think you
0: did it perfectly, Derek. Okay. I really do. Because this was, you know, the crux of my issue with this whole thing. Like, you, 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 you summed it up perfectly. That it happened, that it happened with Christ's name on their lips, that they used it to stop their ears and not hear what was being said. It was just a workshop, a perfect workshop in how not to be charitable. And a lot of those, what I don't get is a lot of those parents, a lot of the people in the congregation had parents have
1: kids like i would want to hear if my kids are not safe as as uncomfortable as it would be yeah i would want to know and they're like no i'm gonna go la 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 sing and just not hear the thing that i don't want to hear yeah yeah and i think it's because they they prioritized the image of the church it's not like they're prioritizing the church they're prioritizing the image of the Mm -hmm. church over the safety of of children. Yep. I'm like this is the exact opposite of Jesus. As you right? said. Uh, Jesus didn't care about his image. He was willing mm-hmm. to be uh, to hang out with people to be called a uh, you know a glutton and a drunkard because of you know and so I'm like yeah. He did he cared about justice more than He cared image. about order, yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's that's super important. Thanks for sharing. Repent West Virginia Church. Word. What war was that? We don't I don't mind. know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> don't matter. It happened, and we gotta we gotta fix it. We'll pray for y'all. So this is this is who I'm putting on the prayer roll this week. I told you at the beginning of this, I wanted to circle back to this whole uh, thing on abortion.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I was telling you just before we started recording today that I've never gone to therapy, but if I did go to therapy, one of the, what would be. One of my top reasons for going would be because of my fear of white women. And this week, primarily because of this whole abortion thing, is one reason why I'm still scared of white women, why while why I'm still cautious and hyper vigilant around them. Like as a black man in America, you are constantly aware of the threat that you impose, particularly on white women, and I'm taught I was taught from a very young age how to keep my hands busy, how to pass wide on the sidewalk when approaching Uh, white people on it especially white women I was taught how to not be how to like make myself look smaller around white women and how not to be physical not too touchy feely all this other stuff all as a means of making sure that I kept myself safe because at the whim of a white woman if she so much as feels uncomfortable it's not a far fetched idea for me to believe that I could end up in jail or dead It's it's not far fetched at all Now, after this whole abortion thing, after these opinions have been shared, I I want to share briefly just some observations I made. One is that half the writers of the bill that, you know, allowed abortion, or sorry, prohibited abortion, half of them were white women. And the person who introduced the bill to the Senate is a white woman. Now, this is all to be juxtaposed or, you know, held in comparison to the 53% of white women who voted for our current president. Now this all stands as evidence to me, something that we've always known and always had the history and the statistics to back up. But basically this idea that when it comes to picking their racial interests or their gender interests, white women will typically, if not always pick their racial interests from Susan B. Anthony, all the way down to Kellyanne Conway. If it comes between your race and your gender, you're going to pick your race um i forget susan b anthony's exact quote or kellyanne conway's exact quote but this is what they in essence said they much rather be subjected to white supremacist patriarchy than to be equal or even subjugated to inferior people to them which was meant in that time to mean black people yeah and that's that is what it is but this is another reason this is the primary reason i have so much fear and so much uneasiness around White women. I know the kind of power they wield. I believe them to be the backbone of white supremacy. Society built on white supremacy will j- do just about anything to protect the well-being of white women. And Emmett Till and Birth of a Nation et al. stands as plenty of mm-hmm. evidence that if a white woman feels any kind of violated, especially by a black man, then, again, ending up in jail or dead is a possibility. And that is a legitimate fear I have. So... Um, perhaps this whole white women being the backbone of white supremacy thing, perhaps things are the way they are because they believe that supporting white supremacy benefits them, and in a way, it kind of does. Like, again, it's at their whim. They can, like, their tears will bring on entire militias, if necessary. But um, also seeing what happened in Alabama and also seeing what happened in the election two years ago, if white women supported... Their own interests as women rather than their racial interests, or rather over their racial interests, white supremacy would fall like point blank. Yeah. It would fall like without the support of yeah. white women, there is no white supremacy. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's tough because n- not
1: only do. A number of white women support white supremacy, but they also support the patriarchy. And I
0: realize it's, well, you have to support the patriarchy yeah. if you support white supremacy. The white supremacy is yeah. inherently patriarchal. Yeah, it's 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 tough, and it's real tough, and it's
1: it's especially real tough when you look at at the idea that that each each of these women is choosing what's best based on what her life and what she knows, and um, and in some ways. Cooperating with the system that ultimately keeps her in that place yep. benefits her more than than, it, than uh, overthrowing the system, especially if she doesn't have the power to overthrow. Yeah, so this just is so complicated. Yeah, and which is why I love Paul's teaching on the unity of the body mm. in um, Romans chapter twelve and First Corinthians chapter twelve. And I think this is, this is tearing – I think there's so many of these issues that are tearing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints apart um, around, you know, women, race, uh, and LGBTs, is that people think that what they – they can be okay even if someone else is hurting. I'm like, no. That's like saying I can get a hammer and my hand can hammer my toe over and over and over. And it won't hurt my hand. Well, you, well, it won't hurt my hand. It will hurt my toe. And it's all connected. Yeah. Like my whole body is going to grimace and, and my mm-hmm. face is going to contort and, I, and I'm going to scream. Like w- we are in a situation where uh, Satan has engineered it so that one part of the body is attacking the other. Mm-hmm. And that is not cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, on, on race, on gender, on LGBTs, people within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints thinking, well... I'm all set. Like I don't care what happens to these other people. And those are the people that Paul is saying, you can't think that you're separate from them. When one member suffers, we all suffer. I think that is brilliant. People talking about like, you know, social justice has no place in Christianity. I'm like, hello, it's Um, all over the place.
0: (laughs) It is We are we are inseparable. Practically the whole ministry of Jesus Christ.
1: Right. And and yeah. And so I think it is like we have to That's why I think that um, when I'm asking for changes for LGBTs, I'm not just asking for something that's going to benefit a minority. It's going to benefit everyone. Everyone Everyone is going to be better off. Everyone's going to be more fully themselves. Everyone's going to be a better disciple of Christ. Everyone's going to – people's straight people's families are going to be more together. Mm -hmm. It benefits everyone, Yeah. not just – and so so people say, well, we can't make a change for just a few percent of the people. Of course we can because, A, that's the right thing to do, but B – it's best for
0: everybody. It's best for everyone. It's best for everybody, right? Yeah, both now and in the life to come. Yeah. Like we we talked about this last week, but we're not getting to the celestial kingdom without each other. We right. have to do this now. Right. So th- this whole thing is just, you know, why anyone would support what is essentially their own marginalization, whether it be on racial or um, gender lines, is a bit beyond me, but... This is what like really got me. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen a couple of my friends quoting the conservative firebrand Tommy Lauren when she came out opposing this abortion bill. And, you know, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but wonder, you know, at, at what point are you going to stop upholding white supremacy? Is it going, like, are you even going to do it when it starts for threatening your own rights? Like, is that going to be a thing or will it not be a thing? And to see somebody like Tommy post that, like, kind of shook me a little bit because I'm like, okay, maybe she's finally getting it. Having her reproductive rights threatened may be enough for her to like say something against this injustice. But for many people, it's not enough. For many of these white women that put our current president in office, these mm-hmm. white women who approved this uh, this bill and wrote this bill and introduced it, you know it is pretty much them saying that i prefer this monster that we have chosen because it is much better than the racial justice that would occur otherwise yeah and
1: this is this is the big irony of the equality act mm. is that this is what, discrimination on the basis of orientation should never be legal mm. because if, just think of this suppose that i am i'm the employer and and i hired you and then i don't like you mm-hmm. All I have to do is falsely accuse you of being gay. Mm-hmm. And then I say I'm I'm firing you cuz you're gay and you're like no I'm not. I'm like you have no option. If it's legal to fire you because you're gay, that's something that can impact straight people too. Yeah. Like like I could fire you in my head because you're black and then in my and then but then actually claim it's because you're gay. Mm-hmm. And then I can like discriminate on you for any reason I want and then just claim it's cuz you're gay. And yeah. you don't how are you going to prove that you're not gay, right? There's you can't really prove that, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I can So this, this is so no one, no straight person should ha- think that their job is safe in a world where anyone can can just perceive you to be gay mm-hmm. and fire you for being gay. That yep. is like people should just think half a second. Yeah. Right? And like, this is why what happens to one affects everyone. hmm
0: Yeah. Cool. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Also, real briefly, for if you didn't hear about this this week, did you hear the name Natasha Tynes?
1: No, I didn't. Okay,
0: she's a, uh, she's a writer, and uh, I thought about this a lot because of her Jordanian-American writer who took a picture of a transit employee eating her lunch while she was on the job and posted her picture to Twitter To essentially try to get her fired, and uh, (laughs) um, she was in the middle of a book deal, and you know she broke the cardinal rule of Twitter: if you're an important person and you say something that could be controversial, don't log off for 24 hours because by the time you log back on, you're gonna find that you lost your book deal, Uh, everybody's coming after you, and all these other things. But um, you know, she was the reason I. I thought about why women in particular, especially the mm-hmm. peppermint patties. What is it? Permit patty, barbecue Becky, all these other folks. Just mind your business. You know what I'm saying? Like it costs nothing to be quiet and mind your business. It's biblical. Uh, <laughs> Thessalonians, 411, man. Uh, be, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Basically, yeah. shut up and mind your business. It's biblical. It costs nothing. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is all. That is all I get. And speaking of,
1: uh, one thing I should have said back when, when we we're talking about the, um, the the texts for this week, in the Come Follow Me is, I should frame. We should frame his teachings around divorce, ah. and marriage, in light of his own character, because mm. he was, was tough on ideas and soft on people, mm. and we should be the same. Mm. Like, yes, he has very significant standards, which we, which we don't all um, uh, follow. But when he had actual people, an actual living case in front of him, he was very different. Yeah, And I think um, we should keep that in mind. And a lot of people in the church have it the reverse. They're soft on ideas and tough on people. Mm-hmm. And if we want to be like Jesus, we should do it the other way around. Be tough ide- on ideas and have some significant ideals and convictions. Mm. But when we have actual people in front of us, we should be Christ-like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great note to end on, by the way, Derek. I'm going to hey, write that down for our thanks. Bars. But uh, that is everything. Thank you for tuning in. Derek, always a pleasure. Yeah, bye.